Welcome to episode 705 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 705 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsman, Bevan James. Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. Feels like we're not in the studio very much these days. No, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Although I have to say, you've gone for the, the, the awesome effects in the background again. I like it. I don't want you to see my messy office. Oh, that was Spielberg. He looks, he looks like, a, like a, a news anchor from my perspective, team. He looks like a news anchor and he's got the, the, the background, but you can't quite see the background. It's very, very sharp, John Newsom. Wait, wait till I do the green screen and then you'll be really blown away. <laughs> I'm kind of interested in what you'll put on the green screen, but let's not even go there. <laughs> I'm talking is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance, Lactic Buffer, and our patrons. And Jombo, I'm going to name the first one today, Phil. I'm going to say the Philinator. I'm not letting you get away with this, John. The Philinator <laughs> Patterson. Went out for a ride with Phil the other day and Terry, dirty little secret Bessardi. And then we've got Murray, the Holy Hammer Lapworth. And this week's show, guys, we've got some news. Oh, I've got some hot topic of the week. We've got a big rant of the week. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. normally rant of the week's like one line. John's written like 20 paragraphs. Uh, we've got pro of the week, winger of the week, and questions and answers. John, let's get straight into a bit of news this week. Uh, we had Dubai 70.3 happen over the weekend. Pretty fast racing. Oh my God, they go fast over there, and they do. They do this every year, and, and I'm, I didn't check the course accuracy, but I think it's pretty pretty good. I just think the the roads over there are super smooth. It's next to a highway, so you probably get a bit of draft effect from the the traffic going past. Um, there's probably uh, a bit of, you know, maybe the distances aren't quite kept accurate in terms of the athletes riding, whatever it is. But holy crap, um, but Arnott's road one hour fifty two thirty five, yeah. which is insane. And and then backed it up with an incredibly fast run, and but every, but everybody ran fast and everybody biked fast. So he ran one ten. Peter Hemrick ran one twelve. Adam Bowden one, ran one twelve. And Matt Trotman ran one eleven. Holy crap! Uh, Andreas Schilling, um, he ran one oh eight twenty four. I have that, to look that one up. That that's almost phenomenal. Seems, I reckon that might be one of the fastest fastest ever runs we've ever seen. That's insane. No, so I, impressive. Well, I think I've seen uh, pulling back in my memory bank out of nowhere. I think I've seen a 107. When I recently looked, I do remember, you know, Fredino's run in South Africa for the 70.3 Worlds, I think was, it was around about that 108, 107 yeah. or something like that. And that was the fastest I could find on records. And that, and that was accurate. So yeah. uh, insanely fast times. Bart Arnott took it out in three hours, 33.45. Um, and then on the female side, Imogene Simons is really showing she's, uh, you know, pushing on from that fantastic 70.3 result she had in Nice last year. And she she took it out in three hours fifty-eight. She swam twenty-five, rode two thirty-four, and then ran a one twenty-one, beating out Daniela Dingman and Pamela Oliveira. So fast, fast racing, and I guess uh, yeah, those first two athletes have got their spots for seventy point three worlds. So hopefully we'll see them down in NZ later in the year. Now, whatever race we had over the weekend was a race we cover each year. It's a bit of a local thing in New Zealand, the coast to coast, where they go from the west coast to the east coast of the South Island each year. Uh, Dougal Allen's been racing it for the last couple of years, uh, and he's back this year, but didn't quite get the win. Were you, were you commentating this year, Bevan? No, because I was up in Auckland, so unfortunately I couldn't do it. 
Okay, so uh, so they open up with a 2.2 kilometre run. Um, they start on the beach with their feet in the sand or their feet right on the edge of the water. They just run up to their bikes just to break things up a little bit, jump on. They do a 55 kilometre bike ride. Uh, and they, the funny thing with that is it's uh, it's a draft legal for the one dayers, but they all have TT bikes. Yeah. And it's it's scary, man. Like Belinda looked at some footage and she said, God, they're going fast. Uh, and they were smoking it, but it was like the lead pack was like 10 guys. Ten guys, all on the aero bars, all smashing it, yeah. and uh, it's scary stuff. And the reason they do that, that they make it um, draft legal, is because you wouldn't be able to split things up after two point two k's. Yeah. And if in the second leg they do in this race on the bike, is uh, an individual time trial as well. So otherwise, you'd have to have two bikes. So they they spank out fifty five k's, then they uh, head off and they do a thirty three kilometer mountain run. Uh, and then they do an intermediate bike ride, which is 15 kilometres from the end of the, the run to the start of the kayak. They run one kilometre down a hill, then they paddle 67 kilometres, which takes them uh, around about four hours for the top uh, the top guys. And then they cycle uh, slightly downhill, but usually into a headwind uh, for 70 kilometres. And uh, so the first, the, the guy who won, Sam Clark, you know, slightly downhill, he's averaging 41 kilometres for the first segment, and then 46 for the next 30 k's so they're they're fair moving even when they're they're tired so it was a good race um Dougal Allen unfortunately came up short for uh you know in our triathlon corner he's been been in there for a while but it was a good race he what happened out so by... was Dougal was Dougal ever in with a chance or was uh, the, it seemed too fast off the kayak what they what normally happens in this race is that that breakaway group of ten uh, finish the bike ride together and then uh, and then you don't really get any news until they're coming out of the mountain run and uh, when they came out of the mountain run I think he was about eight or nine minutes down uh, Dougal was in maybe about fifth place or something around about that. Uh, but he made a nice move on this little short bike ride. In 15Ks, he made up a couple of minutes and got it down to about six and a half minutes going into the kayak. And that's where it basically stayed at the six and a half minutes through the entire kayak and through the entire run, oh, uh, the bike. entire final bike ride. So did uh, he make any time on the last bike? No, and you kind of would have thought he's yeah. a he's a weapon bike rider. Mm. Um, so, but it's still exciting when it's when it's six minutes coming off the yeah, off the kayak. You're thinking it it should. It should Sam Clark should have held on, but if you you can explode, you know it's much like an Ironman run. If you explode, you can lose uh, a lot of time very quickly. So, yeah, Dougal Allen in his post I saw on Facebook, he said, you know, fair play, Sam Clark. He was the better man on the day, um, but it didn't sound like Dougal Allen had uh, his best didn't feel his best so yeah it was a bit of a two-horse race and interestingly the guy that got third uh reese john he was one of the fellows who absolutely came spanking past me in that uh that off-road triathlon oh, okay there you go he he was a kayaker and i thought holy smokes he is moving so i feel slightly less crap uh on the mountain bike after seeing that so uh so that was good stuff then on the female side of racing Where's my filter button? Uh, Simone Mayer, who was the defending champion, uh, and she's done a lot of triathlon. I think she's pretty sure she's been sub nine in uh, Ironman. She's done done really well. She had some, she was leading uh, and probably looking odds on to win it again, but had problems in the kayak. I don't know exactly what happened. Oh, okay. uh, sounded like uh, some gear failure. So she went. To, uh, she dropped out, which made the race really exciting. You know, you're watching it on the live tracker, and that's the, the good thing with uh, coast to coast. They do have this sort of little live tracker, so you can see GPS where they are all the time. 
there was only about five minutes covering the first three uh, females on the final bike ride. So Kareen O'Donnell ended up taking it out in 12 hours 53, only three minutes ahead of Alison Wilson and Fiona Dowling in third place. So yeah, just back to the the times that the guys take. It is a little bit longer than Ironman. Um, so Sam Clark came home in 10 hours 45 and Dougal Allen 10 hours 52. So you know around about you know an hour and a half longer than uh, than an Ironman. And it was interesting, in the past we've had Richard Usher, who's been both a successful Ironman and a very successful multi-sporter, winning the Coast to Coast a few times. And in the past he talked about how the different challenges in each race, and he actually felt overall Coast to Coast was harder, but he said you go to a harder place in Ironman in the second half of the marathon. So it was just interesting, that mm. comparison. Uh, Lisa Roberts, we had her on a show a couple of weeks ago. How'd she end up going? Well, unfortunately, she was doing the the, the teams. They do a two day competition, uh, so they do the you know essentially do the bike and the run on day one, and then the second day they do the kayak and the bike. Uh, the bike. And uh, there's a two-day individual competition as well. Uh, they ended up getting third place in their category, so she partnered up with her husband. But unfortunately, because of the weather conditions, uh, the run actually got... Uh, not uh, completely changed for day one if you remember a few weeks ago we were talking to her and she just said this run is out of this world it's just crazy you're running over boulders running through rivers we've had quite a lot of rain and so they had to cancel the run which meant the run that they ended up doing a was a lot shorter and b was 50 percent running on the road 50 percent just sort of running on trails so probably would have played into her favor a little bit um but yeah it was a real shame and I've, you know, I've always got quite a bit of sympathy for race directors until we get later in the show for my rant this week. Uh, <laughs> but in this occasion, when they showed the the footage of the one day race, like the leader of the, you know, Sam Clark, he started getting washed down a river. The, I think the the female who won the women's race, she got seriously was getting yeah. washed out of the river. She looked like she was about to drown. Jeez. So I think uh, they made the right call. The, the, and this it was, was a pretty day, high, day, wasn't day, it? Day. It was pretty high up in their bodies, wasn't it? Mm. And it was it was a cold, cold day as well. So I think they made the right call. So coast to coast, down and dusted for another year. One thing you've got written down here, it looks like Dougal Allen might be turning up and racing Ironman New Zealand. No, yes, I saw that his name. Thought uh, Torsten did some updates and on his page, and he's you know the, the February eighth update, which is like the day after I think the coast to coast. Uh, there was a number of names that went on there. One of them was Terenzo Bozzoni. So I'm not sure if that's just an entry to please the sponsors or if he has actually got over his injuries or not. Um, but yeah, the other one on there was Dougal Allen. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what he can do at Ironman. I just want to have a little random kind of Kiwi thing, although we have had Ella Harris on the show. Ella Harris is, we had her on a show when we were talking about young athletes last year. And uh, she went and did her first, she won her first race as a pro cyclist in Austria. And it's pretty awesome performance. Austra- Australia. Oh, Australia. Well, you got the Z there, yeah. so I thought you meant Austria. Um, and, but it was a pretty awesome performance because if you watch the race, she goes early and you're thinking, oh, big mistake. And she puts the foot down, but she holds on with some grit, doesn't she? She did. So it was a little, uh, not a little. It was a, uh, uh, it was really shit actually. <laughs> and there was a, there's a couple of bike tours in Australia. There's a tour down under, and this one sort of tacks on to the end uh, of that. It's a separate tour. It's not the tour down under. Is a big UCI one. All the big hitters there for the males. Uh, and then this is a, a sort of a secondary race. They have a men's race, which is like five days long, and they had a women's race, which Ella was doing. It was only two days long. So oh, really? what's, what's what's with that? So she she won the second and final stage. Um, but the reason why it was noteworthy is a she was part of our junior triathlon. Program. 
program many years ago. Uh, so we had a little bit to do with her there. Uh, B, we've had her on the show. And C, she also won the, the Zwift Challenge a few years ago. That's and right. she got contra- contracted onto the, the sort of uh, the SRAM team. So she was actually racing for a, a New Zealand sort of composite team in this event. But it was her first professional win. And uh, she was a blubbering mess at the end of the race. She was just so ecstatic. Uh, partly because she'd been dropped several times on the climb and then came back and just uh, steamrolled them at the finish. But it was uh, awesome to see some some good emotion in her first ever win. Is there much money in female cycling, pro cycling? Like, would, would she be making any money? No, and I, uh, John... Good old John, the mountain snail, popped me over an email saying, did you see Ella Harris won this race? And I said, yes, I did. Uh, and I said, A, A, I said, like I just told you, it was a bit crap. There was only two stages. But we, we, triathlon uh, does exceptionally well in terms of our equality because in so many other sports, cycling included, the women just get next to nothing. Yeah. You know, it's it's very, very difficult to, uh, for them to make a living. So at her age, great way to see the world. But unless you're uh, a real big hitter, it's pretty hard I think to make a proper living we got an interview I'm um, an email we through from Brendan Murray and he's just got he wanted to give the Extreme Triathlon Australian Alpine Ascent Race a bit of a plug he said hey guys just thought it might be worth giving this race a plug which happened today not a huge field but far out water race beautiful 3k freshwater swim and lake I'm going to say Jindabine uh, 105k uh, bike with 2,500 metres of climbing uh, shortened to from 113 as the road was still closed after recent bushfires and then an 18.7k run shortened due to extreme weather um, credit to the organisers after the bushfires rehab and park closed for a few weeks ago then it came out and forecast rain for high winds cold temps up high it all happened absolutely stunning scenery you could get nowhere else in the world I saw an emu on the bike course had a good day myself the longest event came third uh, and an extra adrenaline you get from the above the conditions which is something really unique. So if you want to check out that race, it's the multi-sport. Oh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes because it's quite a big link, but it just sounds like something a little bit different. Yeah, it's the Australian Alpine Ascent Ultra, and I'm surprised that the Aussies don't really jump on top of this a bit more because we have we do normally mention it most years, and they never seem to draw a massive field, and it's kind of one of those... I wouldn't call it iconic races, but you're going to up to the top of Mount Kosciuskos, which is the highest mountain in Australia. Not that it's that high, but because yeah. I had, we we actually did run up there once on uh, on Epic Camp as well. We did a triathlon uh, pretty similar to to what they actually did here, not not quite as long, um, but yeah, go go check it out. So the winner was uh, Josh Bignall. He took it out this year was as we said, but shortened six hours and seven minutes. Tim Boot was second in six hours twelve, and Brendan Murray was third in six forty one, and then the first female was Shelley Schultz in nine hours and 58 so um yeah go check it out looks uh looks like a good race and tip of of the day bevan because this and i may have told the story before um we stayed in jindamine for a number of days on epic camp australia and we had one guy that was biking down when we were doing this uh, doing our triathlon and he had his wetsuit hanging over the front of his aero bars and uh, going downhill with a wetsuit over the front of your aero bars is not a good idea. And that was pre- almost, I think, the last act of triathlon he ever had because he went flying over his handlebars and uh, it was not pretty. No, not very wise at all. Shai sent through an email just talking about Israel Man a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Pete Ravusik broke his pedal 30Ks into the ride. Now he kept riding for an additional 150Ks on a windy and tough course with one leg and completed the race. Still managed to do the, the complete ride in a good time but paid for on the run running a 3.53 marathon but still a bloody good effort. That is, that is a good effort. 
riding 150k in one league. Yeah. Uh, Imagine what it would be like running afterwards. I think his, in fact, his 3.53 when he's probably normally these days maybe a three-hour marathoner um, probably shows what it was like. Jeez, that's a good effort. Um, so other news, the professional triathletes organisation are looking to stall by Ironman and uh, they're dropping lots of hints, aren't they, John? Well, they are. They've, so they, they, they've sort of sent another open letter to Ironman that they've shared with the you know the interweb uh, saying we are still interested we we're happy to go into go into this with partners or do it ourselves and and I think off the back of the news we had last week uh, or a couple of weeks ago with regards to the Collins Cup you know it seems like there's some pretty substantial money there now um, they're going to need a crap load to buy Ironman mm. um, but they seem pretty serious about it. Uh, Geez, it, it would be a massive, uh, a massive. I don't, I don't know what the hell had happened because you'd think if they took this over, there's going to be quite a bit of change. Uh, yeah, did, and when you interviewed, because I didn't listen to the interview last week, did, did they? Did I didn't talk? ask them. I, did, I, I stupidly didn't ask. You know, I focused on the Collins Cup and I uh, just completely okay. forgot so to ask. So the question it. I have, because obviously someone's bankrolling them. It seems like there's a billionaire who's kind of bankrolling it. If, if mm. I'm a billionaire and I'm going to buy Iron Man. Do I really want to give it to the the pros to organise? Mm. You know what I mean. Like, uh, if you're a billionaire, you're a pretty good investor. Surely you'd want to get like a pretty. You kind of end up thinking it's going to be run pretty similar to how it's run right now, wouldn't you? You'd think it would be, but I think at the pro end of the race, uh, things would change quite a bit. And, and so I think for for Joe Blogs, it would just be business as usual. Um, but you would hope that the money would, would end up trickling a bit more down to grassroots into the pros rather than into somebody else's uh, back pocket. Mm, it'll be interesting to see what happens on this front. John, we got an email here from Robert B. Lean or Boom Boom B. Lean. Uh, he's, he's the, what's the name of the guy? So Matthew, he's just saying Matthew Vanderpool, who won, uh, which race did he win last year? He won one of the Amsterdam gold, gold Race. So in, in cycling, there's a number of monument races, which are kind of like your, your Grand Slams um, for, for one-day racing. And he said, uh, at some stage, he wants to come across to, to triathlon. He hasn't said when or where or anything like that. I think it was one of those questions, would you like to do a triathlon one day? Yeah, I'd love to do one. Um, so and, and focusing on Ironman, but I don't. From what I, when I looked at the translation, it didn't look look like it was anytime soon. But you know, we've had. If you take Lance out of the equation, have any cyclists come over that have really dominated? Uh, Cam Worth, but he wasn't. I wouldn't say was a top cyclist in terms of on the world tour or anything like that. Um, yes, we've definitely had some age groupers come over, uh, and that. But I've got a few fairly large asterisks next to their names in terms of uh, fairly checkered pass who have done very well on age group side of things. But um, well, in terms Lance, of an elite Lance, side, Lance didn't come over and dominate. Lance, oh, he, he didn't get an opportunity. His 70 oh, he won race. Yeah, don't get me no, wrong. No, he he crushed several 70.3s because he 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 went head to head with Bevan Doherty once, and Bevan Doherty was in good shape, and Bevan caught him with 500 metres to go or something like that. And then in the Kona 70.3 when we were over there, he dominated Greg yeah, but, Bennett. But, but that wasn't that wasn't like he came in a couple of good races. He didn't dominate the sport for a long period of time. Like he, and also was he was he on drugs? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, put that to. I don't think we'd say was he on drugs. It's like <laughs> how much was he on. Um, so yeah, you put that to one side. But uh, he, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't don't see these cyclists being a, a massive threat, other than posing some pretty impressive bike times. 
Okay, Joanne, we've got Challenge Monica coming up with this weekend. We've got a pretty good, strong men's field, and then females' field's probably a good field, which is probably. Oh, no, good. I'd say the women's field is going to be an awesome race. Oh, yeah. Bevan, you're okay. sexist pig. Oh, yeah. just, it's like, well, when you look at the caliber of the men, you got two top tenors in Kona there, and the females. True, yeah. Um, but, so but there, you race. there you go. There you go. I'm not a sexist are... pig, I'm just being accurate. I'm, I'm more excited about the females race because it's you don't quite know where it's going to go. So on the female side, you've got uh, Carterfelt. Um, so she's she, you know she dominates all around Asia. Usually does pretty well at seventy point three worlds. Uh, so Radka Carterfelt, you know, I would probably say she's favourite. Um, but then you've got Meredith Kessler. Seems to be getting a little bit long on the tooth these days, but she was uh, she's still you know really competitive. Um, Hannah Wells, uh, who won last year, and she sort of won just about every race she's done in New Zealand and Australia in recent times. Um, so she's trying to sort of step up a bit. And then you've got Lisa Roberts, who we spoke to a few time, a few weeks ago. She's an exceptional runner, and so you probably won't see her in, until the run, starting to come through on the run. And then Rachel McBride as well. So yeah, I'm. I think the women's race is going to be absolutely brilliant. Men's race is going to be, I'd say, more intriguing because you're going to have um, Braden Curry, who will be off the front most likely, um, with Dylan McNeese in the swim. And then I'd imagine he'll drop Dylan on the bike and just be solo riding. And then Joe Skipper will be way, way back and he'll be solo riding. So it will be, I think, a sort of a you know a, a TT race. And, uh, and, and yeah. Quite interested to see how that pans out. Joe Skipper coming out of the British winter versus Braden Curry, who should be in pretty good shape given it's our Kiwi summer. And also local conditions, you know, it's his backyard, so he mm. does have that kind of hometown advantage, plus the crowd behind him. Mm. Uh, you're you going down, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going down to watch, so I'll do a bit of podcasting. I'll do some interviews after the race, hopefully. And it is the Asia-Pacific Champs. I don't know, really. I couldn't really figure out what that actually means. It seems like they've drawn a, a slightly stronger field than the normal, especially on the female side. Um, I think a couple of key things that will come out of this is you know, ranking points for the 70 point, not for 70.3, for, for Collins Cup. So that's going to be really important over the next three months if anybody is on the fringes and wants to try to get one of those automatic slots. So someone like Joe Skipper, who I'm not sure where he's sitting in the rankings, you know, if he has a really good race here um, and if he has a really good race in uh in Taupo, um, that might spring him up into, you know, an automatic selection. Um, so that could be interesting. Uh and then the other side of things, yeah, I couldn't figure out if the Asia Pacific champs means there's more prize money or anything like that. But also, a number of these athletes will be trying to go for the challenge sort of series um, prize money as well because they put that up on offer every year. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, that, that prize money does seem to be a drawcard for a lot of athletes to stay in the challenge world, isn't it? Yeah, just that sort of slight second tier athletes yeah, who yeah. Kona, they're not, not necessarily top 10 Kona athletes. Um, yeah, I think it, uh, yeah, it's looking good. Forecast, weather forecast is looking good. Uh, it's a great race. Awesome. Seriously, like if you're anywhere in the world and you want to do a, like in a kind of a journey race and you want to go to a beautiful location where you then get to spend some time in a beautiful part of the world, Challenge Wanaka, you really can't get much better than that. Uh, it's going to be good times. Okay, John, John's ITU update. What's happening in the ITU world, John? The season must be on. Yeah, there's nothing happening yet, but it's uh, it's going to kick off pretty soon, and it, it seems to me like it's kicking off uh, earlier than usual. So we're heading off to Abu Dhabi and at the start of March, so only a few weeks to go, and I would just encourage people to go and get their Triathlon Live uh, subscription going because you know a lot, I know a lot of you guys are going through winter, you'd be getting bored out of your brains uh, being on the indoor trainers, and you can go on there and look at all the past coverage, look at the live coverage. Um, they 
you don't have to watch it bang on live. It starts in Abu Dhabi on the 5th of March, 5th through the 7th. There'll be a mixed relay as well as uh, an elite race. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the season because it's going to ramp up really quickly. You have Abu Dhabi in, in March, you have Bermuda in April, and then Yokohama on the 16th and 17th of May. And Yokohama is going to be crunch time because that will essentially be a selection race for a lot of the countries to confirm probably their sort of second and third spots um, if they haven't already done so but a lot of countries have you know a lot of countries did not have their athletes qualifying automatically uh, so that could be pretty cutthroat how close to the olympics do they actually race Oh, pretty much all the, all the way up. You know, you have uh, Leeds. I don't know if that necessarily that many people will go back to the UK to race in Leeds um, in Montreal also in June. So I'd say people will be choosing one or the other. And then you've got Hamburg in July. I'd say plenty will go and do that as a, as a sort of final hit out. Um, so, yeah, you ha- it's going to be interesting to see how athletes approach this and how nations approach it with the mixed team relay, whether they focus uh, you know more of the eggs into the, the mixed team relay basket or whether they focus on the individual because realistically there's only so many athletes that can podium in the uh, Olympic distance race um, and some countries you know might have a, a far greater chance in the mixed relay so thinking out loud you know countries like America uh, they've got definitely some, some females who are likely medalists but on the male side of things their guys aren't going to be getting in you know aren't going to be getting on the podium so do they say to them take it a bit easier in the Olympic and they prepare them specifically for the mixed team relay. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to tank it in the Olympic distance race uh, at the Olympics, but they may focus their preparation more on the, uh, the sort of super sprint distance. Well, one thing you learn from listening to our legends of triathlon podcast for all the people who never won the medal, um, you know, these guys are often legends, you know, who were potential winners is getting it right on the day and not, you know, this moment right now, you know, these few months leading up to the race is where a lot of them do too much or stuff up and make big mistakes that ultimately hurt them on the day because we've heard a lot of these guys who potentially could have been winners of medals in the Olympics after the event and a lot of them have kind of said, you know, if I did my time again, I would have done this moment here a lot different. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this year. John, this week's discussion. So we had a few weeks ago, um, if Ironman rules prevented a certain use of wets, wait a second, should Ironman rules prevent a certain use of wetsuits or swim gear that provide an advantage and should the same rules apply to footwear? So John, do you want to go first? Arnold Stulikoff, um, for as long as triathlon has existed, we've tried to minimise drag and increase efficiency. No no shoes create energy, eventually they consume less. Nothing different to aero bars at the end. What, uh, wanting to regulate is utter bullshit. David Harrell here has got, um, Ironman as a brand should encourage innovation, allow the shark fins wet swimsuits, the crazy aero bikes, and embrace new shoe technology. If you want regulations, then you should have the ITU events. It would create a spectacle that would help promote the sport. Uh, Karen Ballard Tremor uh, wetsuits give a big advantage for sure with more expensive brands doing quite a lot with various technology to assist swimmers I often see amazing swim times from weaker swimmers who without wetsuits are perhaps 10 to 12 minutes slower in an Ironman without a wetsuit so moving to shoes to an essence gives the same advantage is really the same as wearing a good wetsuit it's okay to draft on the swim but on the bike uh, although lots do it's all these points which bear thinking about. 
Um, I'll go with uh, Scott McMichael. He's got, on the other hand, there are less restrictions on bikes than UIC or ITU legal rigs. How now, brown cow dolphin? Uh, they could bring in a, the, bring the rule in with regards to sort of wetsuits and um, shoes and then not enforce it, much like they do with the anti-doping rules. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Put it out there, Will Hogarth. It's got triathlon has always been pushing technology. Let's continue to do so. Good old Pavel, he said, what next? Only 40 millimeter wheels, no tubeless. On a side note, match your equipment to your capabilities. I've seen too many people walking the marathon in the next percent. Okay, uh, and then I'll go, uh, Brian Kent has got, I don't see how six millimeters neurofreen shoes are going to give you an advantage. And good old Dave Doughty said, uh, just send a link through if people are interested to um, podrunner.com, which has got a new rule limiting vapor fly like shoes is coming soon. And I did see something in the news, I think maybe today or yesterday, uh, and I didn't necessarily read it that that, that athletics are bringing in some restrictions, but I don't think it's going to be, I think the, the, the horse is already bolted, Bevan. We did get an email from someone who wasn't that happy about it, didn't we? Um, who was this from, John? Because you've got it's it. It's good old Adam. Good old Adam Bardsley. Oh, Adam Bardsley. Okay, who are you talking about the vapor plies on the podcast this week? It's a bit of a passion of mine. Basically, it's legalized cheating, and anecdotally, I say 90% of the top 10 in the UK road race over here wears them. If you rock up to the start line of a marathon carrying a pogo stick, I reckon the race director might have something to say about it. That's basically what you're doing with the vapor flies. Turning up with three mini pogo sticks in your heel. There's a great podcast about it, and I'll put a link to, put a link to this podcast. Uh... Uh, about it here including a very practical solution of putting the genie back in the bottle but I imagine the major shoe manufacturers have too much clout and the authorities not enough bollocks to enforce it uh, Ross basically yeah personally Ro- I'm sticking Ross to Tucker's, it. Ross Tucker is the guy that does does that podcast and um, for those of you what's his website I think it's Science of Sport or Sport of Science oh, or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's a South African guy before, haven't we yeah, and uh, he, he's on to it. And I started listening to that podcast yesterday, and, and it really goes into um, what all the, the shoes are about and uh, just how big a difference it really can make. Really? I think one of the key points they make in the podcast, not that I finished listening to it all, was um, it is variable across different people. You know, so some people it gives them uh, advantage. some advantage, some people it gives them a little bit more, some a little bit less, but it certainly gives, seems to give everybody a fairly significant advantage. And the other point that they make in there is, um, so that 4% isn't necessarily a 4% gain in your time it's a sort of a four percent energy saving and again how that um, transpires to wh- how much faster you go is quite variable across uh, across different people so it is a really significant difference these shoes are making okay good time so i'll tell you one thing adam he's sticking with his essex dcs it's, that's what <laughs> he's, he ain't going to be so bloody cheating his ears. what are your thoughts john well, I'm a bit of a bloody Neanderthal when it comes to these things. I'd like to go back to the Dark Ages and yeah, uh, and, and, have, and have everything everything equal. Now, I know that that's not going to be realistic, and I know the sport we live in in triathlon definitely has been uh, innovators. And I kind of put this in the same um, bracket as I think Arno said with, with aero bars. When they came out, not that I was racing then, and, and it first sort of came out there's a massive difference you know and and it, i'd say i'm not sure what the percentage is but i'm sure it'd be at least four percent in terms of the advantage you could gain uh so you'd have to go out and buy yourself aero bars and again there would be differences in how much gain you make in terms of how you set up on those aero bars um so uh i think that you know 
the horse is bolted, um, so I think we're kind of a bit screwed on that. Um, but I would love to go back to actually where the everything's even, everything's fair. There is regulations. It'd be bloody hard to enforce all these things. Um, but I just it just bugs me that you can buy better equipment all the time just to get one over on somebody else. It is, and, and life's not fair. And you know, so these shoes—these <laughs> these shoes are gonna. You know, if you put these shoes on, Bevan, you might get a three percent advantage. I might get a two percent advantage. So life's not fair. And uh, but life's I, I would not fair. It's not, and and so you're never gonna get a solution that's fair for everybody. Um, but and again. I suppose when you look at it, when the Aerobars came in, you start breaking all the cycling records. That's not fair on the people that previously broke them. Now we're seeing all these running records being broken. That's not fair on the people that have been broken because they're not actually necessarily going any faster or they're not better athletes. They've just got better equipment. So um, I, th- I don't think there's any, I don't think we can take a step back. So I think we're, they're in and they're going to be, they're, they're here for good. Um, but personally, I would much rather that we have lots of regulation and it's just giving as much as possible, the person being the, the difference, not necessarily the equipment. It's, it's but funny. I can't see it happening. It's funny because I kind of, I'm, I'm really on the fence with this because I, I totally see your angle. It's that kind of, especially of running. Running is a purest form of sport, really, isn't it? It's, it's a, you know, really the only equipment you have is your shoes, really, other than the clothes you wear. There's no real advantage in equipment. Um, and this is probably the first time in running that this has really ever been an issue. Whereas for triathlon, it's something we've seen for many years. But with triathlons, kind of always embraced technology or innovation. Um, and so I kind of sit on both sides of the fence because I kind of go, if you beat me in a race and you're wearing the vapor flies, do I give myself the excuse of, oh, I was wearing the vapor flies? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or if, if I beat you, do I get the own the ego because I'm the better athlete, but I'm wearing Even, the vapor you, flies? You, you're ruining my discussion for next week. Oh, am I? What's, what's the discussion for next week? <laughs> How would you feel if athletes that were on par with you bought a pair of vapor flies or a new bike that allowed them to travel faster despite not performing better and they beat you? And likewise, how would you feel if you bought the, bought these gains? <laughs> Well, okay, we'll go deep into it next week. But I just, yeah, for me, I, I don't know, because I kind of, it's kind of, it's part of evolution as well. Because, you know, all sports, like there was a great documentary I watched a while ago, I probably talked about it on the show, but what they did is they got basically the world's best athletes now, and they got them to compete in the conditions of old athletes. So and I remember they had um, Jishi Owens, the sprinter, and they basically got the guy who got second at the Olympics, the Canadian guy when Usain Bolt won the last, I think it was the last Olympics, um, and they got him to do, he had to wear the same shoes that Jesse Owens wore and he had to run on the same track. Um, mm. And he couldn't be Jesse Owens' time. And so, you know, like it's, it is this thing of that a part of sport is the evolution of the science that goes around sport. So there's this, you know, it's like, like are we are we a Formula One where the best team wins because they have the best money and technology behind them? Or are we like a yachting kind of category where everyone has to go in the same boat? And I think mm. sport has a bit of both, doesn't it? It does. So I think they need, yeah, I think they need to bring in some sort of regulations because you've got to stop somewhere. You know, they've put this uh, blade in there, and then where do you, where do you stop? Uh, but it sounds like the blade's not actually the the key thing that makes them go faster. It's actually the the sort of foam product. But anyway, yeah, I'd like us to just go back and back back to the bloody 1950s and uh, all be on you know Amen. standard standard steel frames and uh, aero bars. I kind of. The thing with aero bars, you say they have made a significant difference in terms of speed, but they are also a hell of a lot more comfortable. Um, so I kind of like to keep the aero bars, maybe. Oh, so so um, you're willing to keep things that work for you? <laughs> yeah, and uh, but shoes, it's just not necessary. I just, um, 
I just like to go back to the good old days. Okay, here we go, John. This week's discussion, you've already kind of said it, but how would you feel if athletes that were on par with you bought a pair of Vaporflies or a new bike that allowed them to travel at faster despite not performing better if they beat you? Likewise, how would you feel if you bought those games yourself? Uh, that's this next week's discussion. You kind of already have an idea, in my opinion, on this. John, but let's look at this uh, sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And if you need to recover faster from your training sessions, uh, make sure you get some of their product called Protein. It's recover and rebuild with their four-in-one protein. So their protein's got a super blend of four types of protein. They've got whey hydrosilate, uh, whey isolate, um, and then their blend is formulated to both immediate and slow release to improve muscle growth and overall recovery. So check it out. It's called Extreme Endurance Protein. They've got uh, vanilla and chocolate. And I can vouch for both those flavors being extremely tasty. Oh, not just um, extreme endurance, extremely tasty. Extremely tasty. They can they can trademark that, Bevan. There we go. Uh, and one of the key things that I love about extreme endurance is, uh, especially with this product and with the standard extreme endurance and with immune, is they have got the informed choice, informed sport, and informed choice certified. So that means you can take them with the confidence that you know that the products are tested and you're not going to be taking any any harmful sub substances. And we know that. It's a bloody minefield out there. And for athletes, if you're going to Kona, uh, age groupers, you've just got to be pretty careful about what you're taking in because uh, they do drug testing over there for age groupers as well. And they do random testing around the world these days. Uh, it's pretty infrequent, but you, you always want to be on the safe side. So check it out. Extreme Endurance Protein, along with their other full range of products. It's xendurance.com for all your extreme endurance needs. Jombo, okay, wind it up. Wind up. Okay. Oh, no. No, no, we, we need some music, Bevan. Oh, I can't, so I can't. I'm, I'm in Auckland, I can't. Oh, disappointing. Can I could have put do, some do, angry do, music on if I was home, but it, well, I can't, it can't be done. It can't be sing, done. Sing, so, us, sing, sing us a song or something like that. Rant of the week. Here we go, rant of the week. Okay, here we go, Bevan. Okay, let me start with this. How to piss your core audience 101 by Iron Man. Here we go. So you make a change to an iconic race that devalues the experience for the athletes. So... New Zealand athletes will know uh, what I'm talking about, but Ironman New Zealand last week, uh, they decided to change the start times. So what they added at Ironman New Zealand a couple of years ago, they added the 70.3 race, which in my humble opinion, they should never have done, and they've done it elsewhere in the world. Um, so traditionally, uh, what they've done the last couple of years is Ironman starts at you know 7 o'clock or thereabouts, um, the pros start a few minutes earlier, and then the 70.3s start uh, a little bit later, and then they kind of merge out on the course. Um, this year, what they've decided to do is... Uh, swing that around and, and they've just made this announcement um, last week and so it's a month out from the race and what they've decided to do is send the 70.3 athletes off first at uh, from 6.45 in a stupid bloody rolling start uh, and then delay the Ironman start to 7.48 for the pro men and the women just a couple of minutes later and then 8am for the Ironman athletes and you're just sitting there and, and I think we're all sitting there going what the hell are you thinking doing this? And um, before I c carry on, I will say, let's all take a chill pill with regards to this because really... Wait, wait. we're going to start a rant of a week and you're going to say take a chill pill. Then I'm going back in the other direction <laughs> yeah, <okay>. again. <laughs> so um, it's probably really not going to make much difference to the day. And the reason they've done this is they let 
so many people into the 70.3 race because we've got the 70.3 worlds here later in the year that it was going to mean it was just going to be a shit fight on the the bike and they were just thinking through all the uh, the ramifications for doing this and they go this isn't actually going to work so i think the solution that they've come up with is actually the best solution that they could do with the amount of athletes they have to reduce congestion and to give everybody the fairest race. So I'm not disputing from a logistics point of view that they've done the right thing. So I think Ironman athletes, chill out on that regard. Yes, it's an hour later. Yes, it's an inconvenience. And I think that's um, it's a really stupid thing to do, but I think it'll, the, the end result will be the best solution for everybody out there. What could have happened in that situation if they had everyone racing? Hmm. And as they they, they, they they put out a post and, and and saying, right, we've made these changes, and boom, chart, fireworks. People were spitting texts. They were going nut bar, and they came out the next day, and they said, okay, we've listened to your feedback, and they were being the, you know, really caring, uh, caring business that they were, and they made a number of changes to address a number of people's concerns, um, but they're still stuck with the, the same sort of times. Now, um, one of the comments that I saw amongst all this was, you know, a 70.3 athlete sort of saying, why do you Ironman athletes think you're so special compared to the 70.3s? Which to a degree is a valid point, but the 70.3, whether you like it or not, it is a tack-on event to the Ironman. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I've got I've coached a number of people doing 70.3s, so it's not in, anything against the athletes or anything like that doing it. But the way that, in my opinion, this race should be viewed, it's Ironman, and the 70.3 is a little tack-on event because they wanted to try to get more extra money in there. And let's be yeah, honest, but- till this year, if the Worlds weren't here this year, the, the 70.3 really was an afterthought, even with numbers. It wasn't a huge race, was it? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. You're exactly right. Um, but the thing in New Zealand... We've only got one Ironman race, so it's not like you've got any choice to go anywhere else. Um, the Ironman athletes are paying, you know, about a thousand bucks to enter this race, and for most people in in our sort of sport um, that do long distance racing, Ironman is the pinnacle. And for a lot of athletes, if they're on the John Newsom plan, it should take them three years to build up, and it's a big, big deal for for a lot of these people. And now I'm not saying for some people, the seventy point three is still a massive deal. You've got to build your way up. Yeah, and but, but Ironman's the mecca. It, it is a mecca. Yeah. So, um, and so I think by making these changes, you know, a lot of people got really fired up about um, they're going to be out there uh, in the heat for, for longer of the day, um, which I think is a valid point. It potentially gets a little bit windier for their support crew. It means they're out there. You know, the cutoff time's been d- increased to one o'clock. So there's lots of little things there that, that make it shit. Really, I don't think that's going to make a, a, a massive, massive difference. Um there is going to be congestion now on the course, but that probably would have been there regardless with this, with all the 70.3 athletes. But you do have to think, start thinking about the, the danger factor there when you've got, you know, fast athletes coming through on 70.3 athletes because they will catch them. Well, the pros are going, going to. Yeah, and going through aid stations, you know, if you're racing through and you miss an aid station because there's a lineup of uh, slower um, 70.3 athletes, I think you're within your rights to be pretty peeved off. The solution to that, why don't you just stop at the aid station and pick up a bottle? But that's, that's sort of a, you shouldn't have to do that. Um, the other thing that that really um, I think for the Ironman athletes, Ironman New Zealand, I still remember the first time I did this, and, and you'll be the same, Bevan. 
when you go down at seven o'clock, uh, the sun's only just starting to yeah. rise and it just comes out of the water just before you're about to start because it's a very late season race for us. And then they have uh, a Maori walkers coming in and it's just this massive buzz and it gets you really pumped up for the day. That's going to be lost. And I think that's a big part of Ironman in New Zealand, which makes it unique. Now, they say they're going to do that at eight o'clock, but it won't be the same. You know, it's not the first race that's going to start on the day. Um so I'm highly pissed off about this because I think, as I said, for the race, for the athletes, take a chill pill. It's probably not going to have a massive impact on you. But what it really says to me, it's just a lack of respect, I think, from Iron Man. It's the principle of it, yeah. and and it just they just keep doing this, um, and it's it's just saying to the Ironman athletes, oh yeah, we're we're, we're sorry about this, but you're, you're going to have to take a bit of a back seat for this year, and I don't think they appreciate how big a deal it is for for a lot of athletes um, just getting to the start line, and it's kind of like you're not respecting what I'm doing, and and they've. And if it was a traffic management issue, if it was, we're really sorry, we've got to do this because of X, Y, Z reason. But the reason they've had to do this is because they've been so bloody greedy and let so many people into the 70.3 race. Why could you not have just gone and done another 70.3 race elsewhere? Well, so Interestingly, John, I was speaking to, to Coach Gail, or Gail um, Harvey Hayward, Harvey Hayward. And, um, and she was saying that she was going to be doing the Malulaba 70.3 because she wanted to qualify for the Worlds, and then she got contacted and, and they said, actually, there's going to be no World slots there anymore. And so if she wants to do it, she has to do it in New Zealand. So she basically... I'd say that's, that's probably her fault for, for, for that race is in September. It's, it's, that, that would probably always be the case, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe she thought there was going to be slots at that stage. Yeah. So it's just... I hate it when greediness... <laughs> they're just so greedy. Well, but the thing is they've been rewarded, haven't they? Because they're making a lot more money on this race. Yeah, you know, like it's, it's, you know, like it's it's a business. I can, well, you know, move around for an hour, annoy a few people, but hey, we're making lots more cash. Yeah, so I think they're just it's just another chink in terms of pissing off those athletes that have been long term supporters. Uh, the unfortunate thing in New Zealand, you haven't got much choice to go anywhere else. You've got the one saving grace. Did you talk about this? Oh, the one saving grace is there is still a mass start for Ironman. So hallelujah for that because it's the only. I'm pretty sure it's the only Ironman race anywhere in the world that still does have a mass start. So give them a high five on that for keeping that in because I was under the impression that they had actually changed to a rolling start for Ironman as well. So well done for keeping that in place because uh, I don't think there's necessarily a need in this particular event to have a, a certainly not a rolling start. You could go to wave starts, but uh, it's a massive big lake. The field is not ginormous. And okay, one of my big peeves here is I, I know that they do the 70.3 to, to get more income coming in. But I, they've got a shitty business model if they can't actually put on an Ironman with around about 1,000 people entering the race, paying 1,000 bucks each. If you can't make that work economically, you, yeah, I think you just did something fundamentally wrong. Yeah, but it, your job as a business is to bring more money in. So if you mm -hmm. can if you can take on another race and make you know maybe double your profit, well, then you're foolish not to do it, aren't you? You are, but you're devaluing the event in long term. I don't know. I, I don't know, because we're a one-horse town, you know, as in only one in New Zealand, does it devalue the event? Like, do you think Ironman New Zealand is going to have less Ironman competitors next year? Like, I, I, I agree with your frustration, but the thing is, they don't get hurt. I don't know if, like, do you think next year Ironman New Zealand is going to have less full-distance athletes because of this has happened? I think everybody's going to vote with their feet. Okay. Gonna get <laughs> the, the race will be cancelled next year. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Iron... 
the Oxman long distance triathlon. Oh, Everybody's going to come down to Christchurch yeah. and we're going to do an Ironman on the Canterbury Plains. There we go. Uh, John Pro of the Week. Now, I'm hoping, like Hal Bevan, that we haven't done this one because I, uh, I was looking through it going, this looks somewhat familiar, but I really did want to highlight this uh, our pro of the week, and I, we're going to actually do a short uh, – we're going to do a female and then do a quick short male athlete as well. Um, so good old Cy, um, you know, Shy sent this through a while ago. He was saying you should get Sarah Spence uh in terms of a pro of the week or on for an interview or something like that because she had the fastest run split at the 70.3 worlds which is bloody impressive you know bevan i'm gonna have to have a pause could you try again no wait for you that's funny so you said sarah and and it triggered um siri it did here you go but i also need to go and say good luck to my children for uh i'll I'll catch them before they go um i'll do we'll do this section bevan and then i've got to say good luck it's it's swimming sports day today so i've got to go wish my children good luck um so uh probably sarah spence she went to 70.3 worlds in nice last year she finished in 10th place which was a massive performance and she had the fastest run split of the day coming home in a Bevan, I've, I see I'm, I've lost myself now. Yeah. I've lost myself. She came home in a one hour 17 17 to finish in four hours 35 and finish in 10th place overall, but the fastest run split of the day. And then she backed it up. I'm in Barcelona, went eight hours and 34.09, which is at the time, and it may have changed since then because we have had races since then, the fourth fastest Ironman time of all time. Uh, and it's just been, in general, a massive step up in 2019. She's also uh, got a doctorate, so she's a, you know, a smart cookie as well. Um, but she, she came onto the scene Ironman Mallorca in 2016 with a 9.28. Uh, uh, then she went on to Texas in 8.46, finishing in fifth place in 2018. Did Austria 2018, went 9.26, only finishing in sixth place there. Um, but then, yeah, just a massive step up. So I wanted to bring her up as somebody I think we kind of need to be on the lookout for this season because a 10th in Nice, um, spanking Ironman Barcelona in the fourth fastest time ever. I know it's a fast course, but still pretty pretty bloody impressive. So look out for, for her. She's from Sweden. Uh, look out for her for dominating the dojo. She will have already clipped your ticket for Kona for next year with that win in Barcelona. So look out for her there. Good times. Okay. And we also want to quickly talk about good old Dougal Allen, who did the Coast to Coast this weekend. He's won Challenge Wanaka in the past. And maybe just want to have a bit of a chat about him, John. I did. So I just wanted to pull up his record because uh, his Challenge Monica results don't actually show up on this uh, website that I use, which is called endurance-data.com. Um, so as Bevan said, he's won Challenge Monica before with some really, really impressive performances. Um, his When he's been on the Ironman scene, he's had uh, quite a few sort of fifth through tenths in Challenge Rope. He went 8-14-43 back in 2017 when we were there. Uh, Ironman New Zealand, he did that in 2018 finished on uh, here DNF there um, but he's had some pretty fast time and you can go 8.14 pretty solid yep. I'm just intrigued to see how he doubles up and finishes up at Ironman New Zealand after racing in uh, coast to coast okay John I think we're going to pause pause we're back in a second John John's just giving his kids you know swim away. just give him technique advice get in there uh, well, technique technique and have fun no. The key for key for swimming. So here's because today's going to be a pretty short show, I think. Um, so here's oh, some we'll, swimming, we'll, we'll swimming we'll tips. We're up with time. We're up with time. We're we'll be fine. We're up with time. 
<laughs> here's the sort of tips because a lot of a lot of uh, triathletes, and the, and the same applies for um, when you when you're doing a time trial in the pool, and if you're doing a short or short distance stuff, and you're really trying to go for a fast, you know, 200 or 400. Um, and for the kids of today are only racing 50 meters. But the key thing is, is try to bring your kick in really strong in the the second half. So these kids today are racing 50 meters, and so you got to come. You got to do. The start's key. You've got to go a good streamline, and you've got to come up and, and, and not go too ballistic in that first length. But to do a good 50, it's all about having a really fast turn, a good streamline, and then really bringing your kick into play in that second half and really kicking hard. So a bit like running. You know, um, often we say to runners, you know, start to pump your arms a bit when you want to try to get your legs going a bit more because that'll help to increase your cadence. Similar in swimming, if you start to bring in your kick nice and strong, that'll help to get your your, your arm rate turnover. Obviously, you'll get the propulsion from your kick, but it'll also help to start to uh, get you a little bit higher in the water. It'll start to increase your stroke rate a little bit, and you've got to bring it home strong because obviously the second half is when people start to fade a bit. Um, and if you're doing a longer distance swim, Say so you're doing a 400 meter time trial, um, pretty similar philosophy, but the key 100 when you're doing a 400 is that third 100. So uh, most people who swim 400s go far too fast in the first 100, and then it's a bit of a fading effort. So you kind of got to control that first 100. Second hundred, your effort's building, but your pace is probably staying the same. But it's that third 100 where you've got to really concentrate, really start to bring it home hard, uh, and then the last 100 is kind of hanging on for dear life. Same thing sort of applies with cycling, etc. as well. It's that third quarter where you've really got to smash the crap out of it. Mentally break people then too, don't you, John? You break them. You break them. Exactly. Okay, Wanger of the Week, John. We're going with number three this week. We are going for number three. Yep. I was getting. I, I went out and did a session last night, Bevan. I was uh, doing my Monday night coaching, and I had a, got up this morning, and I think I had about thirty-five emails sitting in there from when I got up from last night, and a handful of them were commenting on my run session last night, where I did, I think it was fifteen hundred and six kilometres on my run last That's a night. Good run, mate. Well done. Was, I was very and impressed. You did it overnight. That's how fast you are. I know. So people, I think my average pace was one second per kilometre or something like that. Uh, so it was an impressive run. And the reason I'm doing this is, is Strava's taking a while to load up here, Bevan. So you might have to to jump in and uh, fill us in on who's number three. Okay. Well, I don't normally do that, but so, okay. Number three. Let's have a look here, John. You you talk about like, so, uh, how so far did you, you run? We ran maybe 10Ks of that. Um, so, guys, if, you, if you're not sort of up to speed with what we're talking about when we do Wang of the Week, um, so with Strava, you can go on there and it's a free to sign up. Uh, you go in there and then it basically tracks all your workouts that you do. Um, and some people really get into the comparing, looking at other people, etc. What I prefer with Strava is you actually can go in there and all your regular routes, um, if the people have created segments on them for all your local climbs, etc., you can actually go in there and compare your efforts uh, over a long distance, long a long time. Um, so it really helps you to track your personal best performances. Um, okay, likewise, John, you can obviously go and see see what other people have been doing okay, as well. Anna McRae in third place in twenty five hours and forty four minutes. She did twelve activities, three hours of swimming, seventeen and a half hours of biking, and then five five hours of running from Auckland, New Zealand. It's got a good good picture on here, a big smiley face on her on her Strava picture. Um, yeah, she's obviously she's training for something right now because she looks like she's just beasting it. I'll probably oh, smack she, okay, it. Oh, she did a four day camp, an endurance ride camp. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, FT training camp, four day. So there we go. So she is. It's probably, it's probably foot traffic, probably with Rob Dallymore. I'd imagine they're probably down Taupo or something like that, getting ready month out from uh, from Ironman New Zealand. So good old Rob Dallymore for foot traffic. There you go. God, I think he's right up there in terms of the number of athletes. One of the things I do, you know, I meant to did a really shit thing this week with uh, with uh, what they what, did. What they Taupo. do, Tom? <laughs> uh, but one thing that they they are bringing in, and, and I think it's starting to gain a little bit of momentum, is sort of the club program and uh, and rewarding the clubs, etc., that have uh, the most amount of people entering in the race. And I, uh, I saw Rob, Rob Dallymore was, uh, in terms of, you know they've got coaching businesses that are essentially uh, acting like clubs now, and uh, and I know, I know that he had lots of athletes racing. So good work, Rob. Well, I know because with um, the Queenstown Marathon, they give our running group discounts. <laughs> so they contact us and they say, look, you know, and, and I think we I think we actually have the biggest group in the country that do the race, which is pretty cool. But um, yeah, they don't see Ironman dishing out discounts. Well, so. that is Ironman. <laughs> I know that is, but. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I don't know. Maybe they do it for like a rub daily more, but you know, it's a pretty decent dis- discount too. Like a, I can't remember what it is, but it's definitely worth doing. So there you go. But anyway, Anna McRae from Auckland, New Zealand. You're absolutely smacking out. Obviously doing Ironman New Zealand. Bring it on, Anna. You are our wanger of the week. Okay, Jombo questions and answers. Now we've got a big one here, Jombo. Do you want to talk through this? I'll talk through this. So good old um, Brent Wah Chan sent this through, and it's a an ITU directive with regards to. Um, it's called the wet bulb globe temperature, and it's their risk categories. Now, one of his points that he made with this is, if this gets applied by Ironman, probably not going to see any Kona uh, race ever happening again because what they've basically done is gone through and sort of color-coded or coded different temperature ranges and what the recommendations are if those temperatures uh, arise with regards to how the race should unfold. Uh, So what we did see in Tokyo last year with the test event, um, the females race got shortened to a 5k run. I think that from memory the men's race uh, was as per Olympic distance and we saw it at a couple of other occasions as well where races were had their distances changed because uh, the athlete welfare was deemed to be put at risk by the conditions being such that it was going to be too hot and they were going to see people passing out. So they've come up with this um, heat index and so they've got their uh, black code which is anything above 32.2 degrees centigrade is considered a risk and then the um, recommendations is you reschedule the competition um, when it's 30.1 to 32.2 it's a red risk which is very high and then limit intense competition and total daily exposure to heat and humidity and then the uh, recommendation is to reschedule the competition and then it goes down to orange and yellow so orange is 27.9 degrees to 30 degrees and yellow is 25.7 to 27.8 and then it says plan races with discretion Um, so yeah I guess what it says, for, for, especially for our American listeners, when you get to the, the red zone, which is when they start saying reschedule competition, that's basically Kona conditions is the red and black zone. You know, typically over there from a centigrade point of view, you know, it's in the, the low 30s. Um, what they haven't really factored in here is the humidity and the strength of sun because, you know, in a, a 30 degree day in New Zealand is quite different to oh, yeah. a 30 degree day in Asia and is quite different to a 30 degree day in um elsewhere so they have put in there the wb 
BGT heat index. So I'm not sure if they've factored all that sort of stuff in there, but they do that with swimming, um, with, with with regards to swim regulations, with uh, regards to wetsuits. You know, it's not just the water temperature; it's also the air temperature, etc. So yeah, what Brent was saying here is uh, kind of probably wouldn't happen. Basically, if they if they adopted these ITU recommendations, they are only recommendations; they're not necessarily rulings. Well, and that's the thing: if you sign up for a cone, you know what you sign up for, aren't you? Hmm. You know, like- and 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 likewise, when they've had like the race in China, we've talked about that in the past, and you you often tell the the Chris McDonald story. Yeah. You know, you were sort of going trying to hide and shade. <laughs> You obviously don't want to be putting people at risk of dying or anything like that, but no. isn't the, the difficult conditions part of uh, part of your preparation and part of your pacing? Yeah, it's, it's part of the game, isn't it? Yeah. So now, what they have... Uh, not that not, not we want to talk about deaths, but when we think about deaths in sport, they tend to come from in the swim. How many, hmm. how many deaths have we had from heat? I, I couldn't tell you that, but I'm sure you get a lot of hospital emissions from yeah. people um, passing out, but in terms of actually people dying... Uh, couldn't I wouldn't want to put a number on that, but yeah, I'd say you know. I was just thinking like on the history of the show, and unfortunately we have had deaths in races, but from from my memory, the majority of them have been in the swim. Definitely majority. Yeah, yeah. So so a couple a couple of things they have instigated for the Tokyo twenty twenty Olympics. Uh, they've moved the start time to six uh, thirty a.m. in the morning, which is. Uh, Good for us Kiwis. So yeah. I'm not sure how, how that works out for the rest of the world from a, from a time zoning point of view in terms of watching it. They've increased the number of aid stations on the run course. Um, they've established a cooling station where they've got tents with fans and air conditioning. Uh, and they've also for allowed... The pros in the race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, I don't oh. know what the hell. It's, that must be more of a pre, pre-race thing oh, rather okay. than actually uh, on the run course. I can't imagine anyone's going to go, wait a second. Everyone, let's pull oh, up no, for a says- second. <laughs> Athletes may rest in the cooling zones, but any medical assistance will be a DNF, so it is on the course. Uh, also, coaches are allowed to provide nutrition in designated coaching areas on the um, bike and run course, so that's quite different. You know, you are essentially allowed a bit of outside assistance, uh, and you can athletes can keep a cooling box in their transition area. Um, so they might in there they might have something like uh, ice, uh, something some sort of ice built into their cap, and so as soon as they take off on the run, they've got that cooling. Effect. We also saw elsewhere athletes, you know, having those cooling devices around their wrists and around their necks. So that may be something that we see in uh, in the Olympics. I'm almost certain it will, because this is the kind of the realm of the sports scientists. They love all that sort of stuff. You know, if you can be getting that, you know, um, half a percent gain here or there, that may well be the difference between getting a medal and not getting a medal. So, um, yeah, so they're making some changes, but the main change they've made for for athletes is that that early start time. So they're going to be done by you know eight thirty in the morning before it starts to get really hot. So, I think if they if they did have this the, the did this race in the heat heat of the day, that could have a significant impact on the result. But by going so early. I don't think it'll be such a massive deal. And I think that's what we want, isn't it? We want to race where you see the best person on a day when it, not mm. because of heat conditions, if you know what I mean. Mm. Okay, John, you've got a survey coming up from uh, Jeff Rothschild from the Sports Performance Research Institute of New Zealand. Uh, just What's the survey about, John? It's really just about, um, more than anything, about pre 
training and pre-race nutrition uh what you sort of take in beforehand whether you do sessions fasted or not fasted so guys we'll have a link uh in our show notes and i might chuck up on our facebook page always like people to support these um you know surveys and research because ultimately um what comes out of it the other end is potentially some interesting information for us and we'll try to get jeff on the show at some stage once he's done his phd and uh, got this research done dusted so it is very tri-related what you have before um, training, before racing. And I did it the other day, probably only takes five to 10 minutes of that. Okay, good stuff. We'll put it on there so you can help the intellectual community kind of figure out how we play this game even better. Okay, John, let's talk about our patrons. You go first. Okay, we've got uh, Adam Flipper Philby. Now, how did I say that second name, John? Liam Robotry, feed him parry. Feed him parry. And then we've got Michael, built to last Collins. Okay, John, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.imtalk.me. You go to the uh, Be a Patron page, go through the process. You go on a draw to win a trip to Conan. Now, guys, if you want to do it, you want to do it now because we're going to be doing a draw in the next few weeks. Uh, and then also you get a gift and you just support us in what we're doing. Uh, sponsor, John. Extreme endurance. Galactic buffer. Also, if you want to get the show emailed to you, go to our front page down the bottom, put your information in. If you want um, if you want some coaching, go to coachjohnnewsome.com. If you want to check out my podcast, I did one on discipline yesterday, which I've got some great feedback on. If you want to kind of improve your discipline, check out that one, bevanjamesisles.com is where you can get that. And if you want to send us some content, such as Age Group of the Week, cool websites, or any other feedback, I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. John, what's your goss? Well, you're just mentioning discipline there, Bevan. Um, and my children were asking me about discipline the other day, uh, about the strap and the cane. Did you ever get the strap or the yeah, cane? Yeah, I got the strap big mm. time. I got the strap because what – and God knows why. I had my, my favourite teacher at primary school was a guy called Mr. D, and he was the guy who got me into sport, got me into running, and um, I loved him. He was a great teacher. But one day he left the classroom, and I think he told everyone to be quiet. And then he came back, he was walking back and he heard me laugh. Now I'm pretty boisterous. And he heard me laugh and he came and gave me the bloody strap. And I was so scared. <laughs> like I'm doing it. He, he had this long curly hair. Think of like, he was a runner in the 80s. So you can imagine he was probably trying to be like John Walker. There's long curly hair. And um, the first time, he, he whipped it back, and, but I was so scared. I was shaking, and he reckons <sighs> I tried to move. So he, so he did it again, and he <laughs> the crap out of me. So, yeah, I did get the strap. Yep. Did you get it? Yeah, I just missed it. Yeah, I just missed it. I think it started getting banned. Well, yeah, he got in a lot of trouble. You. My parents would apeshit him because it was like, who are you to hit my kid? But um, it, mm. I was probably, to be honest, I was probably the last kid ever to get it done at that oh, yeah. school. Yeah, right when we were sort of finishing primary school, that's when it was starting to get banned, yeah. and that's when I potentially would have got it. So I think I just I dodged a few bullets there. I remember, I, I, I vividly remember, because his hair was quite long, it was kind of like past his shoulder height, and uh, the hair was like whiplash. The hair went flying back and <laughs> boom! <laughs> nice. <laughs> What's my gosso, Bevan? Um, not too much going on at the moment. Just getting back into a groove, you know, back into the into the new year. Going to do a couple of little uh, little sprint triathlons coming up in the Lake Crichton events. So a couple of super sprints off to Wanaka this weekend. We've got the New Zealand Secondary Schools Triathlon and New Zealand Schools Triathlon. So Thomas is uh, most excited about going down and doing that. Other than that, uh, started watching a little thing on Netflix, Sex Education. I think you might have watched that. Yeah, it's, it's, great uh, it's pretty funny. That pretty first episode's pretty out there, isn't it? You think, oh, we're in for a ride here. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's that's going pretty well. Outside of that, Bevan, it's just uh, business as usual. You're in Auckland. What's going on up there? Well, it's my three-year wedding anniversary today, John. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. 
and it's funny with my wife. I love my wife, but my wife's kind of the person who doesn't really care about like you her. my wife, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, no, not like that. But like, Joe doesn't like Christmas. We're big on. We love Christmas, but like birthday, she never really cares about birthday. Valentine's Day, we, we, we're not really into anniversaries. But the wedding anniversary, John, it's pretty important. And the first year, I kind of just tried it, like treated it like everything else. I learned. You look after the wedding yeah. anniversary. <laughs> so, but because I'm up here, we're actually going to do it on Friday, which is Valentine's Day as well, which works out well. But uh, three years, which time flies, doesn't it? How long have you been married? 2006. Wow. 13. Yeah. Our wedding anniversary is on Monday. We're going to be driving home from Wanaka. So it's been 14 years. Yes. Jeez. I should know that off the top of my head, but I just 2006. I love Hopefully my wedding, I but I do like, I look back at my wedding and um, I love my wedding. Everything about my wedding from like, ev- like, it was one of those days which, you know, you hope it's going to be a good day. And for me, it delivered on every front. And so I do look back on it. One thing what Joe and I did, um, which I've probably talked about before, but at the end of the day, we went back to our hotel room because the hotel room was in the facility. Oh, we don't need to go down this path, Devin. I mean, come on. It's a and we went wild, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but one thing we did is we sat down, we kind of just kind of debriefed, and we basically did this video. We got our iPhone out, and we just talked through the whole day. We were literally like a 40-minute video. Where we just talked through everything from the day. And I think we've only watched it once, but it was – because you have memories, don't you? But this was like quite a detailed kind of event of the day. And I tell you what, if you're getting married, to me, it's one of the best things you do. Because you, you, often when you reflect back on things, you kind of have two or three memories that you hold on to. Um, but this year, when we watched it, I think we watched it last year. And it just, you know, it brought back so much more about what the day was about. So, you know, if you are getting married, I recommend the debrief video and then get a bit wild after that. That's what I'm saying, John. <laughs> get a bit wild. <laughs> anyway, that's this week's show, guys. Let's get it wrapped up, John. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.